Life Happens Weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. All right, how are we starting the show? And and I think it's indicative of the moment. Um it's difficult to be jolly. It's difficult to be happy. It's difficult to 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 see this as a new year. In fact, I I keep thinking we're still in 2020 because so much um you know, there's so much cloud around. Um, with what we saw even last year, 2020. I have not seen this as a brand new year with new beginnings. I just think it's more of the same, if not getting worse. So we decided to ask um, our favorite, Leah Sifor, who who usually comes and talks to us about relationships. She's a relationship coach and as well as a life coach to, to tell us, you know, and, and help us through what I think is a very difficult time for many uh, couples as well at this time. Leah, thank you so much for talking to us. Good afternoon. I don't know whether to say Happy New Year, but it's a new year nonetheless. <laughs> Yes, I just say yes. Welcome to a new year. (laughs) Yeah. You know, as I said, you know, I I can't imagine it being happy. It's really been um, very gloomy. I I could just speak for myself, but it's been gloomy, a lot of death around. And I I don't know whether, you know, from your practice, what you're seeing is reflective of what I've just been saying. Absolutely. And I think, you know, people have this mental way of shutting one year before they move into a new year. Mm. And huge celebration at the end of the year with parties and being with friends and family is a huge part of being able to close that door. And we didn't get that. We weren't really allowed to do get-togethers. There was no alcohol. We couldn't have huge celebrations. And it kind of one day rolled into a new year and nothing had changed. Mm. And I think people do attach to the, you know, all the New Year's resolutions and a completely new year. Um, but it doesn't feel like that for anybody. And I think at the same time as the year ending, we got hit with this second wave. So just as people felt they were kind of pulling through all the trauma and grief and shock of what last year had been, it's it's we just it's like that huge second wave just crashed over us, and people are still struggling to now catch their breath. So it has been an incredibly hard time this January, more than any other that I've known. You know, there is a thing about January um, that, you know, lawyers and people like yourself see, you know, a lot of people saying, well, actually, I think I'm done uh, starting mm-hmm. a new chapter in my life. I want to walk mm-hmm. out of my marriage. I want to walk mm-hmm. out of my partnership. People become very reflective and want to start afresh. Mm-hmm. What does that look like during COVID when actually the, the, the reality of moving and starting over are, are not that simple? It's been it's been the, probably the biggest thing that I've been seeing. I mean, yes, you're correct. Uh, January is divorce month. That is the biggest divorce month of the year, and it's because you know couples have spent such an intense time through December on holidays with family, and all of that stuff you've been ignoring through the year has come to the surface. Um, but but you know, lockdown in itself was bringing all of that stuff up to the surface for couples who realized either their relationships were not workable or they'd kind of just naturally reached the end of the road or huge tension was arising. So the problem with that is the huge amount of job loss that has happened with lockdown. Um, And so people are not in a financial position to be able to move out, you know, to face a divorce, to have to build two separate homes, meaning people have had to stay in the same home while the relationship is falling apart. So it has created a lot of extra stress because there, there seems to be no escape from that scenario. Mm. And and maybe I want to hone in a little bit on that because that is what a lot of people are experiencing where, 
you know, you've got to make the space work. We yeah. we have decided it's not working, uh, but we, we've got responsibilities, their children, maybe some job losses too. So financially, it's really difficult to make the distinct move and to, to get out of that space. You've got to live in the space together. What What's the best way? Is it, for instance, um, especially if there are children involved, to completely move out of the bedroom as in to live in that same bedroom together or is it to close the door and pretend to the children that we are still in this together for, until you're able to move out? Look, there's no pretending to children. They see absolutely everything. They know exactly what's going on. So I think keeping conversations as open as possible is, a, is an important point. Ensuring that the daily routines with family are maintained. So there's always daily we're sitting together and having a meal. We are all talking about how we're feeling and where we're at with our day. Um, and inviting children to not feel fearful of what is going on with the parents, that that everybody's emotions are welcome. Um, what is happening in the home will be discussed because children do get excluded. Mm. And look, I agree to a point where there's stuff the kids don't need to know. But mm. it's scary for children when they don't understand what is going on. Mm. So, so telling them this is where we at, things are not okay, but, you know, we still friends and we still want to look after each other and we still want to have this wonderful family and we're just going to keep the lines of communication open here so you can ask us any questions and we can just keep talking about what's going on as it's happening so it's really taking it one day at a time does that confuse them because children sometimes want definite so is it easy to say we don't know or is it something that lands i mean i don't know i'm asking you from from your experience does does the living together while you're saying we're not quite together, land well with children. No, look, it is confusing for them, of course. And children have eternal hope that the family won't, you know, the parents won't get divorced and that the family will stay together as is. But so, so yes, you've got to be as clear as we are not in a relationship. We are, you know, co-parenting. And that means that we are have got both a vested interest in the health of the family and being with you guys. And as far as you guys are concerned, the routines and rituals that go on with you are not going to change. You know, kids need to know that they've got that stability in their lives. Like, who's taking them to school? Who's fetching? Who's there for the evenings? What's happening on weekends? So make sure that they know that their routines are, are absolutely not being impacted and that they there's no chance that they're going to lose contact with a parent. Like, even if the parent moves out of the home, they can phone any time they want. The parent will be there every day or second day or whatever's been agreed in, you know, in the agreement. Um, but that, that it's not one is being taken away from. It's just the living dynamic is what is changing. And so let's come back to the adults who are finding themselves in this situation. And, and maybe it is unbearable to be under one roof. Um, I don't assume at all that it's ever going to be easy or any of that is easy. But is there a, a better way to manage it? Look, I think, I think first of all, it's, it's pick your times to have the conversations about the stuff that is not okay. So if you can support yourself and are in a position to have a therapist or a coach to be working with on a weekly basis online through Skype or Zoom or whatever you know they use, it's agreeing to leave the stuff until those sessions to discuss and not just making it a free-for-all constantly. It is keeping the conversations to a minimum if you can't find workable stuff to say to each other. And it's really focusing on the daily logistics of living in a home together. Who's doing the chores? What is expected of each other? How are you both there to support each other? And even in hard divorces, 
it's an important question to ask. You're both in the same boat. You both want the relationship to end, but you can still support each other so that this does not have to turn into a really awful, ugly situation. So, you know, you need to watch the kids while I can have a meeting. Please, can you get the groceries while I'm busy doing this? It's a, it's an accommodating and supporting each other and focusing far more energy on that than, than how we're going to end this and I never want to see you again, you know? Often issues around finances become a big discussion point or a tense point because this is maybe where people start distinguishing what is mine and what is yours and and those cracks start to show and, and you start seeing the one that doesn't have as opposed to the one that has and you start seeing those differences. How do you suggest people go about that? Because when people go through those splits, sometimes it becomes quite stark that there, there is that difference in the home, unlike when everything was in, you know, in, in the home uh, that is secure, that is in, in unison. Look, it's an incredibly hard question and there isn't an easy answer for that. I think a lot of the time this is where mediators get involved because mm-hmm. couples just cannot agree. And I think it's it's focusing on what is incredibly important for you to keep, uh, you know, what is sentimental, what is important. And and for a lot of couples, I've seen that they, they pool a lot of the stuff that they feel is not important to sell it, and then they split the money halfway for that. So it becomes a bit more of a 50-50 intent, even if, like you say, one has got more and one has got less. I honestly find that couples really do try and find a workable way with this. It's it's not very common that I see couples go to war about this kind of thing. They're, they're both broken, they're both bruised, but they both get that they want each other to kind of be able to move on with their lives. And nitpicking about who owns the CD player, you know, or, or who owns the book collection, people don't have the energy for that kind of fighting. So choose what's important for you, each, both. The rest, either split 50-50, or if you can't agree on it, look to sell it and then split the money 50-50. So alongside the actual nuclear family, nucleus family that we get to witness, there are mm-hmm. friends, fa- extended family members mm. who are witnessing all of this. Mm. What kind of support do you think they need to be? Look, I think number one for the children. I think this is where grandparents, aunts and uncles can provide a huge amount of support for the kids to take them out of that space, to take them for outings, fetch them from school, just give them a separate set of adults that they feel is a safe place for them to Mm. go and talk to. Mm. Um, I think for me, support is always around logistics. You know, can we make food for you? Mm. Can we, you know, give you a couch to sleep on? Like, even if you financially can't move out right now, we've got a spare room, you can come stay with us for a month. So like, look at the logistics of how you could support with what they need. but make, make be very clear to not be crossing the line into becoming the the kind of therapists of what the divorce is 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 involving because families tend to take sides they want to demonize the other person mm-hmm. you know they want to and i think everybody knows this that they've been in a position where a friend is going through a divorce mm-hmm. and then they start bad mouthing the partner mm-hmm. to the friend going yeah you should never have been with mm-hmm. them and i'm so glad this is happening mm-hmm. and then the friend and the partner decide to reconciliate yep and now the family's Stuck. got egg on their face, <laughs> yeah. you know, because now what do we do? So just be very clear with your boundaries of, of what you are saying and, and leaving your opinions off the table. Just support the couple in what they're wanting. And that obviously also goes to friends because suddenly what yeah. used to be mutual friends, it, it gets quite tricky. Very. You know, uh, and, and there is that thing, I think it's splitting friends almost, um, because inevitably what will eventually happen is that there will be a, a bit of a, a parting of friendships as well. 
Oh, for sure. And that's probably one of the most heartbreaking things about any breakup yeah. is, is the loss of, of the friendship circle. Mm. Um, and, and especially in COVID and what we're going through at the moment, our communities are so important for us to be processing our trauma and grief with everything that we've been going through. Um, so it's hard if suddenly we can't have access to the, that, those friends uh, that were always there, but now they've taken the partner's side and you can't speak to them. So it's definitely a huge, it's broader impacting than just outside the relationship ending. I've got an SMS coming through, um, and that I think is coming from Justice, who's uh, from Bulugwani, and he is saying, let me just have a look, um, this COVID-19 is separating the human being in such a way that we can't spend more than 15 minutes with your family, especially when both parents are out daily to work and the difficulties when one is working another province and he or she uh, feels a flu. Um, coming home, one must test for COVID and, and the self-isolation mm. for 10 days. So what I think is going on here with justice is just really lamenting on how much strain people are feeling at the moment with, with all the regulations, with all the restrictions of how much you can support people, your loved ones and so on. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, look, Camilla, these really are unprecedented times. And what I mean by that is that all of the traditional techniques and coping mechanisms we'd use around grief and loss are kind of falling a bit short at the moment because there is no end to this. And it's not just loss in one area. People are experiencing loss everywhere. It's a change in their daily routines. People have lost jobs. They're losing the personal connection with friends and family because they can't see each other. They're losing the ability to attend special events and milestones, you know, like graduations or weddings or vacations. Plus people are dying. It's overwhelming. And so typical techniques, it's, it's, we, we we just have to really focus on the day that we're on. We have to take things one day at a time. We have to also just acknowledge the emotions as they exist in us and stop trying to run away from them. And And when we acknowledge it and breathe into them, they will start moving through it. What's important to always know with what we're going through is that no emotion is permanent. It feels like it right now, but I promise you the way you're feeling today is not going to be the way you're feeling tomorrow. So don't attach yourself to an emotional state and stay there. It's just breathe through it, speak about it to friends and family. If you can't physically see people, you can definitely set up online regular coffee dates with friends and family and make sure you do that. Don't just do it when you feel like it. Set it up to be like every Tuesday morning, this is who I'm speaking to because we forget how much we need that connection. And in that gap in that distance, we dangerously start slipping into a depression mm. where we lose that momentum and we lose the ability to initiate that stuff. So set it up, make it happen and get the support in the ways that you can and, and don't only focus on the ways that you're not getting it. So one of the dynamics here, Leah, you would tell me is that because we no longer leave our homes, often mm. people are not leaving for work either, mm. children have been around lurking about um, <laughs> even therapy sessions are now online mm. and and I'm just wondering about that dynamic because sometimes the the, ex the action of leaving the house that space is in itself a reliever mm. and you're able to you know share and weep and do whatever you need to do people who still go even if it's online for therapy are doing that in their home sure. so I imagine people even begin, they get a bit guarded when they express themselves because these walls are listening or you are paranoid in thinking that they are listening. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my experience, a lot of people do their sessions from their cars. 
Sure. <laughs> they go sit in their car in the garage because that's quite oh. a quiet, isolated space. Oh. Um, but uh, I've, I've really hardly found that to be an issue. You know, I've been doing online sessions now since March last year, and um, and people are actually incredibly respectful about their partners or their friends or whoever they're living with having these sessions. Um, a lot of people sit with headphones on, so obviously, you know, you can't hear the session. But you, I agree with you. There's no external relief. It's, mm. it's, you know, this is all this external stuff also used to be able to distract us from our emotional states. We'd yeah. be able to go out drinking and go out clubbing and go socializing and get away from the place where the problem was. And now we can't do that. So this is really forcing us in a very big way to have to face all of that stuff that we, we don't want to face or that we've been avoiding and to to bring it up to the surface, to work with it and clear it. Um, so from my side, I think it's a good thing, you know, that you can't keep avoiding all of the stuff that, that you have been avoiding. But yes, you you know, it's tricky. It depends what your living situation is. But yeah, yeah privacy is a problem. Sh- sh- should you guard how much your children are exposed to your grief? Because you know, um, an end of a marriage or a partnership is also in itself um, a very difficult phase. You know, people grieve, th- grieve through this t- kind of thing. Look, I'm, I'm never a fan of hiding children from stuff. Children are learning what emotion is by observing their parents. Children have to learn emotional intelligence and emotional health by knowing that all emotion is okay and not to be afraid of some emotion. So I've got no problem with kids seeing their parents going through an emotional state. The problem is when parents start to dump that emotion on their kids Mm -hmm. and expect their kids to be a sounding board or to listen to how they're feeling. Your children are not your therapists. So it's really okay to have a cry or to be sad and to just say to your child, you know, I'm sad today. Today I'm just not okay. Um, And I'm okay and we will get through this. So you can acknowledge the emotion is there, but don't, don't start inviting your children to be your therapist it's not their place Lisa, for always lovely talking to you uh, thank you so much for your time appreciate it and uh, people can find you at leasifo.com and your social media platforms also leasifo all of them leasifo except instagram which is leasifo excellent thank you so much for that leasifo life coach and relationship coach as well it's 1 30 let me go to zoleka kodashi for the latest in headlines